0: It's April 27th, 2023. This is Rook. Welcome to episode 259 of Rook. I'm Gian Meshi Halodi from Toronto, from Canada, back in Canada. Salam to Stanis. Hope you're doing well wherever you're tuning in from around the world. We are on our ongoing mission to build a new audiovisual encyclopedia of Iranian diaspora identity. Amin Yahya Zadeh Pega. Yes. Pegajun. <laughs> Amin Yahya Zadeh. What does that mean to you?
1: The winner of voice. Right.
0: Now I'm guessing, because you're such a uh Iranian Iranian <laughs> culture fetishist, <laughs> I'm guessing you watched you religiously I did. watched The Voice I Persia. I
1: did, I did. I watched it with the whole family.
0: <laughs> right. So I I love this guy's story. Mm-hmm. I didn't watch it. But then I caught up yes. since we have the guests on our show. I have to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> but no, But and then I, I enjoyed it. I mean, uh, you know, I don't really tend to like the talent show things, mm-hmm. you know. But then sometimes they surprise me. Right. This was good. I just love his story. Kid from Mashad mm-hmm. into heavy metal. Like heavy yeah. rock. Like kid grows up, falls in love with Linkin Park and Slipknot. You know, mm-hmm. like he's into the really heavy stuff in Mashad. Mm-hmm. Um, Starts an underground rock band, which I'm assuming has to be quite underground. Yes. If you're in Mashad. Not that I don't know that there's lots of culture in Mashad underground. <laughs> don't come at me, Mashadies. I know. But, uh, but you know, certainly publicly,
1: mm-hmm.
0: you're not going to be fucking playing your death oh, metal course, on the, yes. you know, at the local pub in Mashad.
1: <laughs> local pub. <laughs> right, I right. Wish. Yeah, yeah. In so. All, in, in nowhere else but Mashad, a local pub. <laughs> right, right, right. The, lo-
0: the local pub where, yeah. So, um, so they leave. So he's in this. He's a you know, rock guy.s mm-hmm. He's doing the screaming rock vocals, etc. Uh, as a kid, and his parents are just like, "What are you doing? Stop it! You know, <laughs> become an engineer or whatever." Ends up anyway. A couple of years ago, moving with the band mm-hmm. to Istanbul, and then I don't know. I have to ask him. I don't know what the story is of how this guy got involved with the voice Persia, because the kind of genre of music he plays. Mm-hmm is not what you would expect on a singing pop show. Right. But his voice is something of, of a beautiful thing. And so he goes on this show and then starts to, you know, round by round win. Well, you would know because you yeah, watched well, it. Yeah,
1: well, that's what I was going to say. That's exactly. Let me ask you something.
0: As somebody who watched the show. Okay. Early on, yeah. you know how like, I mean, when you watch, I don't know, one of these like Survivor or something. Right. You know, and you go, that that person, that woman's going to win. Yeah. You know? Did you have that sense of not him at, at all? Not at all. No.
1: Not at all. Because... I mean, I don't know, like, I think part of these shows is like the judges and then part of it is like viewer um, opinion and things like that, I think. Voting. Yeah, Yeah, I think most of them are like that. And my thought was, this isn't exactly a genre of music that a lot of Iranians are exposed to or there's like a lot, it's not common, especially on a show like this, right? And they hate it. Well, that's the thing. A lot of them probably hate it. I mean, I didn't want to say that, uh, but yeah
0: like what's this noise Like yeah. I, I can imagine my mother just going what, is, well, what are exactly. they doing
1: so when I was watching it I was like oh, I don't know about this guy but then as you were saying round by round there yeah. was so much that you that you hear and see in him that's just mind blowing
0: so he's joining us in a few yes. minutes uh, and Master Badri uh, Delhi. <laughs> I'm not sure if I'm saying her the last name right but, uh, but she just goes by Master Badri yes so, what is she a master of? Taekwondo. Mm-hmm. Martial arts master. In fact, she is a six Dan black belt. Wow. If anyone knows anything about Taekwondo, which I don't, I mean the but black I read belt. that that's very, very advanced. Mm-hmm. In fact, there are very few women in Canada, she's an Iranian Canadian. Uh, who are that advanced, are a sixth dan wow. black belt. She's a master, you know, that the, mm-hmm. there's like, you can count them on two hands or something, I one it. Oh. So, so, um, so she's, and she's got this amazing story of how she uh, came to martial arts later in life. Mm-hmm. She's in her 60s now, wow. and she can kick ass, and she's overcome a lot, mm-hmm. including a, a, a scary and debilitating accident. So, well, she's gonna join us in the Rook studio. We'll get to Master Badri as well. Looking forward to that. Um, now, I know you take a yearly trip with your dear sister. I do, yes. Uh, and you guys went to Vegas, Las Vegas?
1: We did. We were actually supposed to go last December. That All was right. when we were scheduled, I guess, to go. But um, Two Iranian
0: girls letting loose in Vegas. In Vegas. Did that's you right. lose money? <laughs>
1: Of course. You did. Of course. You went and
0: lost money. How predictable. (laughs) I know. You gambled.
1: We did. We did. Uh We gambled amongst many other things. You got drunk and gambled. Actually, I did Vegas sober. The whole time? The whole time.
0: Really? Yes. You went to Vegas and didn't drink anything?
1: I did not. On purpose? Not one single drink. Why is that? Um, Not that you need to drink. No, I mean, it's been a little while that I've just decided to stop drinking. Mm. And... um, more for health reasons than anything sure. else. Yeah. So it's been about three, going on to four months now. Okay. Um, what about
0: Arak? No,
1: nothing. No, like no z- z- zero said. alcohol. No, I know how you say it.
0: What about Durk? Spiked oh. Durk. No, okay. Durk so, alone, yeah, yes, yeah. but no
1: Spiked Durk. <laughs> right.
0: So, okay. So you go sober to Vegas. <laughs> yes. And you still lost money. And I still lost money. You still money. showed That's a the lack thing. of judgment well, enough to- Well, to be yeah. fair, I
1: we were up quite a bit. Throughout the couple of days that we were uh-huh. there. But ultimately, you know, we ended uh, up losing.
0: you got to know when I to. I know,
1: I know. And that's what everybody says. Know it's when like, to you hold them, know when the to fold them. them. Yeah. Uh, listen to mean, the old Kenny Rogers song. It's Come Vegas, on. That's right.
0: Um, okay. Well, that, I, well yeah. I was
1: going to ask you, you were also away. How was I your was. Trip? I
0: wasn't far from you. That's I was right. in Los Angeles. That's right. Uh, drinking excessively. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I had a couple of meetings there. Saw some people. Actually, saw lots of. Lots of great uh, friends in Los Angeles. It was really nice. I was just there for uh, three or four days. Mm -hmm. But uh, it was great. Actually, I had a really energizing trip. Got some work done. Had a couple of really good meetings. And then I was coming back yesterday. Mm -hmm. And I planned my flight back to watch the Arsenal game against Man City. (laughs) Because if anybody... Let's say you don't... I know a lot of people first of all are tired of me talking about Arsenal and or B, don't care about football or particularly the Premier League. But let me just bring you up to speed. Mm -hmm. Yesterday's game was it. Our team, the little underdog team of young guys, uh, Arsenal, Mm -hmm. you know, we could potentially have won the Premier League uh, season, uh, but we had to beat this giant, this colossus named Manchester City.
1: Okay.
0: Bankrolled into the best team in in the world, right? Right. And so it all comes down to yesterday's game. I mean, there's a couple of games left now, but it doesn't matter. And so, uh, you know, and it's at their stadium, the Etihad. Okay. So I'm a little nervous going into this, but you know, we, there's hope. The boys have given us hope over the... Over the <laughs> so I plan my flights to be, be able to watch right. this game, you know, to come back. I mean, I actually came home later so that I could stay at the airport mm-hmm. and watch the game. I'm worried. Uh, well, wait, you don't know what happened? No. What do you don't obsessively follow at Arsenal as <laughs> no. my friend? Yeah, it was a disaster. Oh. oh, it was a disaster. I mean, it was just so it was just so heartbreaking. It was so heartbreaking, and you know what? You know why it was heartbreaking? Because they're a better team. They are just better. They're better than we are, and we are. Says you know, the
1: number one Arsenal fan. Uh, yeah, no, no, no. I mean,
0: uh, I mean, look, the team is a bunch of twenty-year-olds. I mm-hmm. mean, it's, uh, we're they're amazing, but right. we can't. We just can't. We couldn't we couldn't compete against this team and and it was so heartbreaking. <laughs> it was just the worst. And there's a whole there's a whole drama where their coach is a guy named Pep Guardiola, mm-hmm. who's a very famous, uh successful coach, and his apprentice was mm-hmm. Mikel Arteta, who has become now the coach of Arsenal. So oh, wow. it was the mentor and the mentee Ooh, against each other okay. and the old dog wins, you know, and nah anyway so much so that would that was a desire go yes well
1: i was gonna say on my flight back actually i mean i'm not a hockey fan by any means Uh but everyone was like logging into the um the wi-fi option and whatever yeah the leaf Uh game and so when we landed apparently they scored um the the Overtime, or in the yeah. overtime oh, okay, or whatever yeah. it was and so i was watching a movie on the flight and when we landed i still had my headphones in and then all of a sudden everyone starts screaming in the plane and i was completely clueless as to what's going on so i just took off my headphones. i thought so I you were like, i
0: thought you were on? interested in sports
1: in sports not hockey or soccer well soccer yes a little bit more but i'm not but you a don't know hard, what happened like t- sports right, yeah. fan following every second okay but right. hockey at all i mean hockey.
0: this is if you're a toronto person as I have, as many of you know, as we both have been for yes. many years, this this is seismic. It is. For it comes down to actually tonight. If if Toronto wins tonight, they they win the first round series for the That's first time right. in nineteen That's years, right. and this is a testament to me following loser teams. <laughs> the Toronto Maple Leafs have never won the Stanley Cup in my lifetime. Oh wow! Yeah.
1: Well, let's yeah. see what so, happens tonight.
0: Right, I'm a young man, mind you, but you know. <laughs> So uh, okay so that was disappointing and then you know what the other thing that was disappointing for me uh, over the last few days in LA this is has nothing to do with LA but has to do with real estate are we are shadow man
1: yes Brook media is, is shadow very man now
0: that happened to us once before mm-hmm. but in the in the last two or three weeks we've been noticing this now if you were listening to us right now on our podcast platforms, mm-hmm. The podcast platforms are immune to this, I think. In other words, it seems like our numbers have stayed consistent or grown, Mm -hmm. as we like to see them do, and on Spotify and on uh, uh, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, et cetera. But on Instagram, sometimes I wonder about YouTube, but on, on Instagram... We are shadow banned, which mm-hmm. means that whenever we do, I think, anything to do with Iran, which yeah. is the show we created, you know, uh, I, I, but particularly anything to do with um, the revolution or say the words uprising or revolution mm-hmm. or regime or anything like that, the content gets suppressed. Right. And we've seen this many times now. And especially when I do those essays at the mm-hmm. top of the show, there are many people telling us. From inside Iran and outside of Iran. They can't, they don't know about the content. They don't see the content. It doesn't end up in their feed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is, it It, it sucks. Yeah. It if really anybody does. knows any executives <laughs> at Instagram, I don't know what's, I don't know who, I've heard this, obviously, this has happened to more than just us, yes. but th- we've been targeted. And s- for some reason, uh, you know, s- somehow, Instagram. However it works, whatever the algorithms do, whatever the trigger words are, whatever whatever the content is mm-hmm. that is allowing some of our content. I mean, I can, you know, we if we post a picture of Oogie and don't mention the Iran revolution, right. 3,000 likes, and, you know. But, but if it's, you know, so that's been very frustrating because we're creating is, this content yeah. and... Uh, you know, a lot of people aren't seeing it. I mean, it's places. exactly
1: what you said. Is our entire programming is about Iran and yeah. has been, and so
0: you have to like find ways to talk about Iran without actually. It's, talking we're turning about into Iran. like a, a, you know, one of those old like um, Akira Stami films where it's like uh, you know everything has to be an allegory. Like, yes. uh, what's happening with the battle? Uh, what's happening? <laughs> How is the balloon doing with the shoe? You know, it's like, uh, anyway, yeah. I mean, uh, so that. Uh, I, I we're, you know, Ahai Roham, one of our team members mm-hmm. is scrambling around trying to figure out, you know, Googling Please what are we supposed to, to do, yeah. which which hashtag should we not use, who can we talk to, how can we get saved, I don't know. That's right. Yeah. So
1: if you start seeing some weird hashtags under our posts, know that this is what's that's happening. Right. That's right. <laughs> hashtag balloon. <laughs>
0: hashtag, we just to pretend we're from another country exactly. or something. Like that. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's, uh, hopefully it, it ends and we go back to not being shadow banned, mm-hmm. but um, that's... If you're somebody who, well, again, see, if you're listening to this, you're not banned. You know, you're, you it's getting to you. Uh, you know, if somebody's listening to this, it doesn't. You know, yeah. they're not part they're of the not, people who don't right. who get the they, they're getting the content. So it's um it's a tough one, and it's really hard because like with everything, you can't get somebody on the phone. Right? There's no... <laughs> oh, yeah. Nobody answers the phone There's at no Instagram. Way.
1: Who's going to pick up the phone at Instagram? I, of course. This
0: can, I mean, this is way off. And, but, you know, I was coming... I was trying to take an Uber right. last night from the airport. Mm-hmm. And do you ever have this experience where on Uber, you order the Uber mm-hmm. and the, the person doesn't show up? Like, they kind of... You see them... Yeah, like it's it coming gets, like, and stuck. then it goes around another yeah, circle and then yeah. like 15 minutes later they get
1: rerouted and yeah. it's like yeah
0: but but the guy was still you know and so then I called the guy I said what's what's up and he's like oh I'll be there in a second sir I wasn't going to do the accent but he was like I'll be there in a moment you know and I was like okay and then he doesn't turn up yeah. and, uh, like another 15 minutes oh, wow. and I'm just standing there so finally I call him again go dude you know cancel me like because if yeah. I cancel it's going to cost exactly. me cancel me and I'll just order somebody else if you don't want to you know so then he so then 10 minutes later I finally see the ride your rider has uh, your driver has canceled oh. and I really wanted to take him because I wanted to give him one star oh. you know for making me wait for. <laughs> so then uh, so then I, I called another Uber and the guy came mm. right away and you know it was a really nice whatever. But then today I got charged the for guy tried char- yeah oh wow for like penalty for canceling the the ride. Well and sorry. and oh he, why am I telling this story why I was telling this story because there's nobody, no, there's nobody you can't can call, call Mr. like yeah. it's like Sandra at Uber or yeah. you know, Jimmy at Uber can I just call someone well, and get up you know as a, I mean it's so frustrating so you thing. have to figure out on the app if there is a place where you can say excuse me I was charged for something. Oh, I need to go
1: through all these like different It's steps. not worth it. No, it's not a, at all. You know,
0: I'll pay something. You know, I can't, you know, it's for the seven bucks, I mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I can actually beat that. So oh. one of the things that happened in Vegas is we Sober got into Vegas. a car accident. Oh. In an Uber. Oh. And so speaking of getting a hold of someone, right. we got rear-ended in like traffic on the strip
0: you were in an uber car. we were
1: in an uber and, and got we got the, the rear-ended. somebody
0: hit the uber that's
1: right, right. and uh, it turned into a three car collision so like oh. three cars hit each other from oh. behind and so speaking of not being able to get a hold of someone right. here we are sitting in this uber on the strip and there was so much traffic around my sister and i looking at each other what are we doing what do we do you know we get out of the car nothing he lit he got out of the car spoke uh-huh. to the other drivers got back in the car and he was like okay well we're going to continue going.
2: Okay.
1: And we kind of looked at each other and I was like, well, you know, it, like, do you need to call someone? Mm. Do we need to change Ubers? He's like, no, it's not what worth the What a sober thing to say. <laughs> well, I mean, yes. Yeah, you <laughs> that and the whiplash, honestly.
0: <laughs> what was the problem? Why didn't you just stay in the car and... Did you stay well, in the we, car? We did stay oh. in the car. But oh. I mean,
1: I assume when you get into an accident, I mean, this is what I'm used <laughs> to is that right. you exchange or... Well, maybe there's some information code. There's some or Vegas code. Something happens. But huh. yeah. And All so right. we had to... Put it into the Uber app and let them know that this happened and all that, but definitely no phone calls.
0: Right. Um yep. Yeah. I I don't even know. I might give up on Uber.
1: Really? Yeah. Just and go, go back, back to cabs. Yeah. Oh, I don't know how to how I feel about that.
0: Well, the, in a way, cabs feel like more of a human. Mind you, exp-
1: you're downtown, so that makes uh, sense.
0: What? What? Because what uptown, that
1: mean? there's no cabs.
0: Oh, I see. Right. Depending on where you are in the world, yeah. yes. Yeah. Uber started as something great, but I don't know. Uh, it, it feels like it's uh, turned into a mess <laughs> if only an Iranian was running it oh wait if only <laughs> <laughs> can't get him on the show we've asked
1: yes we have hard to get him on the oh, show so doesn't want questions. an
0: accountability interview he's so afraid they'll uh, ask some questions uh, yeah. you know al <laughs> would love to have Dara Khosrowshahi
1: absolutely yeah
0: um, and I, then I can explain my experience. <laughs> exactly. Why am I getting charged $7? That's why I don't want to come on the show, because anybody, you know, is going to Yeah, we've be all like, got stories. Dude, I've got some questions for you, Mr. For Uber. Sure, yeah. For sure, for uh, sure. All right, let's get to a bit of a roundup here before we get to Amin Yahyazadeh, Uh And uh, let's start inside Iran, mm-hmm. Pega, because um, there has been some... Regardless of whether the revolution is happening or not outside of Iran, we'll get to some of the dysfunction in a moment, um, there is activity happening inside Mm -hmm, Iran. So um, I've been hearing about strikes that are ongoing. And if you recall, in the beginning of the uprising, one of the big chips that was important to fall Mm -hmm. would be when there are strikes, that's going to really create the conditions for potential change in Iran, et cetera. Well, that's actually happening right now. There may not be demonstrations of uh, 100,000 people in Berlin this week, but there are strikes happening inside Iran. Mm-hmm. What's going on?
1: Well, actually very, very significant strikes, as you're mentioning, you know, um, we and we've seen strikes before over the last seven, eight months, we've we've seen this take place, but this is a new round of widespread labor strikes that took place as of Saturday, I believe. And they're expected to last until at the very least May 30th or within the next month. And that's only if there's some concessions made. If, if there aren't, then who knows how much longer they can last. Um, so these strikes are taking place within um, they're really spearheaded by oil workers Mm. and um, they're taking place over um, over the course of ten cities, maybe even more, um, sixteen different companies that I could find within the short little um, while that I did the research on it, and um, all of this hap- is happening after yet another increase in inflation. So the oil workers are actually calling for an increase in wages. They're actually asking for 79% increase because of uh, the rate of inflation and right. and the costs. Really, um, there's been uh, conversations had with some representatives from the from the companies saying, you know, it just is under Unbearable to live because the gap between their income and the expenses that they're incurring. We did an is just episode
0: a couple of months ago that the, the, the Iranian economy is a dark comedy, right? It is yeah.
1: exactly, exactly, and we're seeing more and more companies join the strike, and I think that's um, you know a testament to the fact that this isn't going to stop anytime soon, and that the revolution is going very, very strong still. Hmm.
0: And um, now on the on the downside, I should mention that I think it's today. I'm not sure if it's exactly today, but it has been six months mm-hmm. since Tumaj Salehi, yes. the defiant rapper, the uh, proud example of resilience, has been not just in prison, but I think in solitary. In solitary, exactly. Um, and th- you know, this is a big deal because uh, for all the bluster about uh, pardoning prisoners and this and that, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, you know, Tumaj ain't going anywhere, it seems. And six months—can you imagine? It's been six months. Um, it, it's now now we're now it's been a while now mm-hmm. now it's not just to uh, you know everything's sort of um beca- it's almost like history now it's we yeah. we, are, we're, we are not just witnessing history but things are becoming historical it was that's 6 right. months ago that he was i don't know if that makes sense what i just said but you know yeah, understand what I, I, mean. I understood what you meant yeah. so that's kind of um that that's happening uh, i thought i would mention that to mark mark today and to to say solidarity with Tumaj again, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, hoping that, I mean, we just talked about him uh, with Airfon on the show on Mm -hmm. on Monday. Um, So you see something like that. On the other hand, uh, there's, um, uh, the the mullahs are taking some hits, it seems, that there was the assassination of a pretty major cleric. Very
1: major cleric, yes. Um, He was a Shia cleric who was on the Assembly of Experts, um, Ayatollah Abbas Ali Soleimani. Mm. And uh, he was shot point-blank and killed in a bank in Bobo ul in the Mazandaan province. Um, and so this is, this is huge. I mean, when I saw this on the news, I just I couldn't believe it. And then later on, I saw the video, which has gone viral, and that's even more unbelievable. Mm. But um, again, it goes back to the rage, the discontent, the fact that, you know, the, again, this revolution is still very much alive. People are still very much angry. Right. And, you know, we're seeing it, we're seeing it through actions like this. Um, So the reason why this was a big deal, going back to, you know, why the shock factor was definitely there is because this individual, um, aside from being on the assembly of experts, which is, um, I guess, the the group in which um, appoints the supreme leader, he was also the right-hand man to um, the supreme leader, Khamenei, for about uh, 17 years. He stepped down from that role in 2019, but was still very much um, a very prominent figure within the IR yeah. within the Islamic Republic. Uh, and actually, shortly after the, his assassination, in the same place, actually apparently a few streets over, if I'm not mistaken, someone saw uh, another cleric crossing the street mm. and ran them over. So now there's another cleric who's uh, in the hospital in critical condition. So more information to come on that. How
0: are the assassinations of clerics greeted by the public in Iran? Do you know? Um, I mean, oh, is this something that is celebrated in social media or is it seen as a...
1: I think it's hard to celebrate right. publicly, but there's definitely um, a lot of conversation on Persian Twitter, for mm. sure, saying, you know, good for that person who killed this individual. Oh, yeah. um, and then, of course, you have the, the opposite of uh, state media, so, which uh, is expected. Saying but this is terrorists. And, yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't see one person on Persian Twitter saying, oh, I'm so sad that this happened.
0: Right. Uh, yeah, Yeah. significant. There's a lot going on. There's so much There's going, on. going on. There's a lot going on, and a lot that we're not going to get to, because I want to actually move from inside Iran to outside of Iran in the diaspora, which mm-hmm. is our what we've been doing for three years on the show, which is... Uh, and and. <laughs> Being in Los Angeles the last few days, I have to say, if there was one common denominator to all the all the conversations I had, at least with uh, the meetings I had with Iranian p- mm-hmm. people, uh, was uh, real frustration, right. uh, and in some cases deflation, based on the dysfunction mm-hmm. uh, of the so-called opposition leadership uh, and not being able to um, get things together. Right. Um, these things happen, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, in terms of, uh, especially in a in a highly emotive and passionate uh, uh, diaspora where people are trying to figure out what the next thing to do is. But, mm-hmm. but given that it, it was so nascent, this coalition that was just <laughs> announced, and there was uh, here we are together hugging, yeah. and uh, the fact that it's fallen apart this quickly is. Um, uh is cause for for frustration for for many people what what is happening with the opposition quote-unquote coalition
1: so i mean i think you summed it up essentially it's more than anything it's um the dysfunction and and the fall of this coalition i guess so um the coalition which originally started out with eight individuals i believe is now been reduced to four So the remaining members are Masih Ali Najad, Nazanin Bonyadi, Shirin Abadi, and Abdullah Mottadi. So those are the four remaining individuals. And um, in
0: it's got a name, the uh, Association for Democracy. That's right,
1: yes. Um, yesterday they announced a revision to the coalition and expressed that um, there's been difficulty in maintaining the coalition in its original form and that there's a couple of members who have now left. And so we saw this because Hamed Esmaynoun actually um, Put out a statement himself, saying that he had kind of taken a step back. We talked about that last week. The coalition, which we discussed, Um, and Reza Pahnavi, although he never put out a statement himself, it's Mm. now come to light based on um, the conversations had with some of the current coalition members that he's also no longer part of the coalition. Um, The one thing is the one thing that I couldn't really pinpoint is the reason that these individuals have left. There's a lot of conversation, there's been a lot of interviews, um, a lot of different points that have been brought up, um, but essentially I think it just boils down to uh, the fact that there were disagreements. They
0: didn't get along. They didn't get along. And they have different ideological uh, outlooks in some cases, and I think they have different fan bases. Yes, very it's much like so. The, it's like the the you know, uh, the rock band fans versus the disco band fans <laughs> or something. Like It's like uh, they just do there's just not, But. But the whole point was to rise above that. Well, this is right? the
1: thing, and I think that's why so many people feel deflated, like you said, and they're frustrated because the coalition came kind of to light with this message of unity and saying, I mean, their entire um, their entire pretext was despite the fact that we come from different views, mm-hmm. we're going to come mm-hmm. together and make this happen. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously they weren't able to do that. And now I almost feel like we've taken so many steps back because the point of having this collective was that they were going to be the opposition that the international community was going to speak to. They were going to be the
0: alternative to voice. the Islamic Republic. Yeah. A collective voice. Now now it's worse. Exactly. There, there, not only are there different voices, but there are different voices on record disagreeing with each other.
3: That's right. <laughs> it's the <gonna So>, worst <laughs> thing.
0: <laughs> but, yeah, I, you know, I I do feel like, look, who knows what happened in some of the meetings mm-hmm. and, and who's pushing an agenda and whatever, you know. But but I do feel like that Manchur, I feel like that was a... That was a negative turning point. First of all, mm-hmm. it was dead on arrival. Yeah. You remember? Yeah, you remember well, we the, first, the first the first day yeah. or whatever we were here going, uh, I don't know about this thing, That's you right. know. Even with the best of intentions, you know, what's with the logo and this and that, mm-hmm. you know. And, and it, it just, it also felt like an overreach, right? right. If you're going to bring people who are this different together to the table, don't try and do something this dramatically, you know. Um, especially that quickly. Uh, ambitious. Yeah. You know? uh, what's that?
1: I said especially that quickly. I mean, it was the very right, first thing right, that they, right. they put together. I feel
0: like that was the beginning of the... The end. <laughs> well, whatever it is. I don't know if it's the <laughs> end, but it's uh, it's definitely a, 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 an awkward pause. Yeah. Um, and the drag is that the chances that everyone's going to coalesce behind Reza Pathavi now or, mm-hmm. or Massey or Hamed are just so... Uh, are, are more limited than they were, yeah. I would say, a couple months ago, sure. and um, that's frustrating. It is. That's frustrating.
1: I was, um, again, I was on Persian Twitter as usual, and there were a couple people saying, you know, well, there's nothing wrong with this. It's a good thing that now we have different options, mm-hmm. and as long mm-hmm. as they respect each other, and you know, this is exactly what democracy is. And usually, I would agree with that, but I think in this case, the the unity and that collective is what we needed. So I'm a little bit worried about how this is going to play out, in terms of having this many different groups, so yeah. to speak, or opposition I mean, figures.
0: It's uh, yeah. I guess. I guess. I mean, I, I. also saw some people saying it's not such a bad thing because yeah. ultimately everybody showed their colors, and you know, now if everybody does want to coalesce around one person mm-hmm. or support, you know, that that's what they're going to do, and let's not pretend that we're, you know, all together in the <laughs> sandbox when and fake it, you know. Yeah. Um. So, but uh, publicly opposing each other. Mm-hmm. Can't be good. No, for for the sake of trying to support the people inside Iran. I don't. I feel like I feel like that part of it. Even if you don't work together,
1: mm-hmm. yeah,
0: a couple of people who are like actually calling out. Each this other. is the guy that was yeah. the problem, and it, you know, it's, uh, yeah. yeah.
1: And I think if anything, that that's going to hurt us most within the international community. I think that's my if biggest. The, if the
0: international community even cares. <laughs> well, no. I mean, but, it's yeah.
1: n- it's not to say that they care, but I think. You know, the fact that this is happening is going to create pause when the international community wants to go to speak to that alternative that's not the Islamic Republic. And no
0: one has a prescription for how this was going to happen because there are so many different camps and it's been so many years and people have so many different desires and and agendas and and ideologies, as I said. Mm -hmm. But imagine... Imagine if that coalition had said, "Okay, and this person, for now, is going to be the spokesperson." You know, yes. and so Mr. Biden or Macron or this is this is the person is who's the representative. To, that yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah, well, and also they had had um, conversations about adding more individuals to the coalition. Mm-hmm. So I think the last time that you know we had kind of heard from from the coalition as a whole was that they were looking at a list of names to be added for um, subcommittees to be created and all of these wonderful mm-hmm. ideas that had been presented and then. We were waiting for that to happen, and then we saw... But maybe,
0: I mean, here's a silver lining, you know? Uh, I see Massey's been doing her thing, mm-hmm. you know, talking about um, what's going on in Iran, and right. you know, uh, recently, the last couple of days on social media, I've seen her do... Reza Pahlavi is, I think he's in Rome today, mm-hmm. he's yeah. doing appearances and, and speaking to officials, and you know, of course, the big trip to Israel, all of that... Uh, Hamed, I imagine is going to continue to um, you know try and represent uh, um, so so I don't know maybe you know a bunch of different people doing on
1: different fronts <laughs> yeah
0: I, they, they, with the conversation on Monday with Airfon, one of the things I was saying is I, it occurred to me that if, if there was just one step at a time, mm-hmm. like if there was that moment two months ago, they just said, our only goal is to get the IRGC on the terrorist list, mm-hmm. right? One thing that we could all agree on, instead of the big plan, the, the charter that we yeah. have to sign up to, you know, I mean, it's, you ever been in a situation where you want to buy something really big, you know, depending on what your resources are, mm-hmm. say, the first car you ever bought, right. and you're really enthusiastic about it, and then there's so many conditions, there's so many of this, that, and you finally walk away and go, I can't, it's too yeah, much. It's, it's too overwhelming. Yeah. Yep. Not that I want to compare, you know. The situation trying to support <laughs> the people of on to buying a car, but I, right. I'm just thinking any big, big decision is is amplified by complication. Mm-hmm. Just keep it simple. Here's one thing what can we do? How yeah. can we let's just have demonstrations for now? That's what mm-hmm. I don't know. And we were all to be fair, we were all in November and December saying we need more, we need we need yeah. action, we need the spokespeople, and so it just uh, yeah. Uh, Anything else we should talk about in the roundup?
1: Um, Well, there was also news about Jafar Panahi. I wanted to talk about that. Yes. Um, So for anyone who doesn't know Jafar Panahi, the very famous uh, film director. um, uh, One of my faves, to be honest. Yes. um, His travel ban that had been in place for 14 years was just lifted. Yes. And uh, his wife on Tuesday night actually posted a photo on Instagram saying, you know, we're taking a couple of days. And they look like they were in an airport somewhere. Yeah, they were yeah. in an airport. Um, it was a photo of him kind of pushing one of these luggage carts um, with a few suitcases and whatnot. And they didn't disclose where they were, but the fact that, you know, he's now been able to leave the country and travel for what a couple of days. What do we learn days. from that? Um, well, I mean... Anything? I don't oh. know. I, oh, it's okay. it's so hard to say what we've learned from it because the the regime just does these things at right random and there's just no rhyme or reason to any of it. So the I fact that I feel like they're it's another way
0: of of neutering people. You know, you kind of uh, one way is to put them in prison, the other mm-hmm. way is to let them out of prison. Yeah. You know? Okay, you can travel but you better not say anything. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. I don't think you can make a deal with Jafar Panahi necessarily, but who knows, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, 14 years being what do you call it? Um under nation arrest. Yeah, yeah I can think of the farsi the country, word, but not yeah. the English. But anyhow, what's the farsi word? Um, khuruj. Oh. Is like right? I think I'm saying that right. Yeah. Okay. Um, is that you're not allowed to leave the country. Mm. But yeah, I just wanted to mention that because I thought it was mm. um, very, very important to talk about Jafar Panahi and his ability to finally. The
0: all right. Uh we are coming to you on rookmedia.com. It's there that you can link to all of our platforms as we talked about Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Instagram, Castbox. If you like to see some visuals, if you want to watch the whole interview video with Airphone or with uh Maziar Falahi from last week or Dr. K, you can go to YouTube and see it uh, or on our Instagram. If you like your rook descriptions and bulletins in English and in Persian, check us out on Telegram. And we do have a Patreon page, uh, so if you want to support us, and we do appreciate this, go to our website, rookmedia.com. On the front page of the website, you you press support us, and for the cost of a a latte per month uh, (laughs) coffee, uh, you can uh, support us on our Patreon page at a bronze or silver or gold level. Thank you to Samon Hashemi for joining as a bronze sponsor, uh, bronze Rook member on our Patreon page, Salman Hashemi. Thank you, Pega. Thank you. Let's get to our featured guest. You know, if you were one of many Iranians around the world, like Pega, watching The Voice Persia in the last couple months, you may have seen the winner who took it all as a guy with a fantastic voice, a great personality, but spawning from an unlikely music genre. Take a listen to this.
3: My source, even worth that comes
0: For the unknown. Silence and seals my ears. There you go. A little taste of Disconnect. That's the new single yeah. and video by Out of Nowhere, a band that is fronted by Amin Yahyazadeh, who is my featured guest today. Amin is a singer, a songwriter, a recording artist, and the winner of the voice Persia. Amin was born and raised in Mashhad in Iran, having Chester Bennington from the hard rock band Lincoln Park as his role model. Amin started singing rock and metal songs at 12 years old. His band, Out of Nowhere, formed in Mashhad in 2010. And Amin moved to Istanbul with his band to pursue his music career two years ago and right now. Amin Yahya Zadeh joins me from Istanbul, Turkey. Hello, sir.
3: Hello, dear Gian. How are you? I'm great, congratulations on your victory last month. Thank you so much, thank you so much for the invitation, thank you for having me.
0: You know, I, I, it was funny when I was watching The Voice back and, and um, familiarizing myself with your band and I'm a fan, I, I don't usually associate, um, I don't know how to say it, real rock musicians <laughs> with music talent yeah. shows. Before you went on The Voice, did you think, what is a guy who makes the music I do gonna do on a show like that?
3: You know, actually, I don't believe it right now, either. (laughs) I'm not sure (laughs) if it was all a dream or it was reality. (laughs) Because it's something strange, because I didn't see such things happen in this TV reality shows all around the world, that a rock star or a person who is singing a rock style being such a competition,
0: yeah, it's. I mean, on the one hand, I appreciate your gumption in terms of going on the show, but I also appreciate it gives me faith in the the judges, the show, the audience that everybody would embrace you, um, just because you do come from uh, a non traditional genre, right?
3: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, of course. Although the judges must select us, and that's why, because of their support this result happens.
0: Is your, is your band name uh, out of nowhere? Is that a nod to being a heavy metal band from the northeast of Iran?
3: Actually, the name of the band came from, uh, actually, I by myself uh, have this idea that we don't belong anywhere, especially. The earth is ours, and these boundaries always separate us from each other's. Mm. That's why we select out of nowhere to show us that we are from everywhere and out of nowhere. You mean you don't just mean you? You mean human beings in general?
0: Yeah, yeah. You don't believe in borders. You don't believe in nations. You don't believe in all of that.
3: Yeah, I just believe in humanity, and I think everyone is equal to each other's.
0: I wish that were. Uh, I wish that more people embrace that philosophy. <laughs> uh, I don't, I don't, unfortunately, I, I mean the the story is that. You're this kid from Mashad. Formed the, as I said in the intro, you formed this metal band there in 2010. I mean, I love counterintuitive happenings like this. Now, I know because I've got a couple of Mashadis on our, you know, with our team here and stuff. That that actually there is not just a music scene, but a rock scene, an underground rock scene in Mashad. But it's it's not really where I would expect a heavy metal band to spawn from. Where and how did you first start? hearing and embracing bands like lincoln park and slipknot and system of down that became your musical influences
3: you know to be honest being a musician in iran is so hard especially in this kind of genre now imagine there is a city in iran it is called Mashhad, the most religious city and the art not only the music the art is forbidden in Mashhad. right i mean there there are no concerts approximately around 100 kilometers of mashhat. There are no theater, no plays. And, you know, in Iran, the media helps a lot for the people to think that this kind of genre is only for worshiping the Satan, and all of them are Satanists. They are drinking blood and blah, 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 This kind of thoughts. So when I was at 12 years old, I was into rock and metal. With the bands like Linkin Park, System of a Down, Slipknot and this gorgeous band but I was afraid to show that I like rock music hmm. even to my family you know I just hidden all of the videos that I liked in my computer.
0: Do you remember when you first saw a band like Linkin Park? I mean I know that you obviously have the internet and Mashet and all of that by the time that you're, you're 12 years old, but um, it's not in your face the way it's gonna be in the West. There isn't a Lollapalooza festival happening you know, down the road or there aren't videos on television or it's not being played on the radio. I mean, Linkin Park was actually a pretty big band in terms of uh, mainstream radio even plays it in somewhere like Canada or the United States, but you don't right. have any of that. So how did you discover these groups and discover that this was your thing?
3: Actually, I remember that I got a CD that is written on it, me- metal, and in Farsi, Toup. <laughs> a great metal. And when I saw that videos in that city, I think maybe it was seven or eight videos, uh, I just shocked that how a singer can sing that high notes and how they can uh, influence on s- uh, on a teenager like me right first i was uh shocked about is this human or <laughs> no it's something else right. but did i step by step i got interested and i just as i told you it was really really hard for us because we didn't have any internet and everything is filtered in iran we didn't have youtube or such a thing oh you didn't have internet no, we didn't have. Oh, we just wow. have. We we had dial up. You know, right, we, right. We could only open the Yahoo Messenger.
0: Right,
3: we couldn't do anything. So that CD helps my life. Wow, what was on the CD? It was, uh, it was the videos from Linkin Park and Sleep Not, Modvein, hmm. Evanescence.
0: Evanescence and you uh, so it wasn't that long ago if it's an Evanescence it wasn't you know uh, these are not super old bands you you yeah. when you say you start singing at the age of 12 if you have to hide your musical preferences from everybody including your family where is it that you were singing
3: actually we had a great fight with our with my family because I wanted to sing like that so I had to scream and find my vocal abilities sure so that's why they just told me, "Why are you screaming? <laughs> what is that?" Right, right, right. Are you sure it's not in our culture? <laughs> right. Where do you want to promote yourself? This is not what Abby did in the nineteen yeah, seventies. This <laughs> is, this is not you. This is something that the USA wants you to be, <laughs> and this kind of stuff. So, so, so you, my family you're... like my family like music, but not this kind of genre. They told me that you can go to our traditional musics.
0: Oh, so w- you were in your bedroom just screaming? Is that what what you? <laughs> I mean,
3: singing along to Slipknot for five years. I sang eight hours a day in my bedroom, and imagine that I am on a stage with uh, ten thousand people uh, looking at me, shouting with me. Right, but it this... was all in my imagination.
0: I-, I love it. It's like a movie, but yeah. it's not. It isn't the genre of music you can do quietly without anybody in the house hearing you so um so this this was an ongoing battle i guess right exactly
3: exactly first (laughs) uh, our neighbors after a while they just told me that i think you have a great voice i i hear you're shouting a lot in your room
0: (laughs) (laughs) they probably thought you were divine you're just screaming i mean yeah
3: (laughs) maybe but they didn't tell me (laughs) And, and do you,
0: um, I guess you find, I mean, obviously by 2010 you do, but I guess you find other kids in Mashhad who are into the same thing so that you can start forming a band, yeah?
3: Yeah, exactly. You know, when I just followed Linkin Park and such great bands, I realized that I have to be, I have to make my own band because if I want to participate in festivals, by myself I by myself cannot do this so Mm -hmm. I have to make my own band that's that's where I just search for different people different musicians all in Mashhad and I was so fortunate that I found my drummer Surush Radman, and together we built this
0: your drummer is awesome by the way I mean this yeah I, I'm I'm always in awe of metal drummers who play with that kind of speed and that kind of force and he he's great it's really fun to watch him do you end up studying computer and information technology at a university in Mashhad was that to placate your parents or were you interested in computer technology
3: I don't know what I was interested you know actually uh when it comes to education I wanted to study about music, but the music in our university is not what I was expected. Right. So, as every uh, common families, they want their children to be engineer or doctor. I choose to study computer, or it's better to say ICT (Information Communication Technology). Uh-huh. Did you? And you finished the degree? Yeah, yeah, I finished it. And... I liked, it. I liked it, but. It's not my thing, you know, <laughs> Right. I just I just finished the college, but I didn't work in that major because everywhere I wanted to go and work in that major, they told us they told me that uh, you're not we don't have enough space for you. Mm.
0: Did you have your long rock hair then?
3: Yeah, you did. Yeah.
0: Right. So you've always looked like a rocker kind of.
3: Yeah. The, the, Two times in my life, I just cut my hair. One of them was for military service uh, and the other was for our first album, we didn't have money. So we had to work. And with this hair, nobody gives me any work right I was to gonna do. say
0: you don't you don't look like the traditional
3: uh, exactly, uh, Persian exactly. engineer. yeah. So that's why I had to cut my hair, and work hard to earn money so we can release our first album
0: you know i gotta tell you man even i mean now you've you know you just won this big show that the voice and and hopefully you guys will continue to have even a uh, bigger success etc but even if you didn't become a huge man i'm so I, I truly i mean this really i'm so um in awe of and appreciative of of, of folks people like you because as you say look Uh, even it's not just iran where uh heavy metal music is called satanic i mean that can that happens in the united states as well it's hard enough for a kid in the west to be in a rock band and and to fight the stereotypes and the expectations and the ideas about what it is to be a long-haired guy in a rock band and all that but to do it from a country where um as you say as you started off saying you know you're you're not you're not allowed to even um think about the idea of performing anywhere um or or expressing what you do or making a business of it or any of that and to continue your passion because you love the music you love what you want to do so much that you're willing to follow in that path and and eventually follow uh, leave the country to do so it it is a passion that i so appreciate i so um I'm so inspired by did you ever consider the idea in all of that that you would give up music that this just isn't possible for me I'm a guy in Mashhad uh, uh this dream is for somebody else
3: actually too many times this happened for me you know all I remember from Mashhad is that you cannot do that this is not you you're not going to be successful in this kind of genre All I remember from Iran, from Mashhad is that because whenever I wanted to do anything, everyone was against me. Mm. And yeah, in my lonesome, I just uh, think about myself a lot. I just work a lot on my mental things, mental health for not giving up because I wanted to uh, show myself that I can do whatever I want. Even if everyone said that it's not true, you cannot make it. And finally, I'm so glad that maybe this happened because I get the exposure from my friends, my family, and mm. they are all happy with that.
0: Yeah. can I mean, can you describe what it is that in terms of the being able to find that confidence being able to dig deep and say i'm not going to listen to everybody who's telling me that this is not something i'll ever be successful at this is not something that's allowed and this is not something that's a that's a logical path to pursue how is it that you would overcome that and keep going
3: i can say about that finding myself i still in my lyrics everything is about humanity and fighting yourself fighting your bad thing your bad side and I think in my whole life, I was just fighting with my mind, with my bad habits. And that's why whenever I was down, I was so in a feel of giving up about this genre. I decided to make musics. Hmm. I decided to read books. I decided to move harder, move faster and As I told you, in my whole life, I just wanted to show myself that I can do that. Mm. What were the bad habits you were fighting? You know, uh, I remember it was a really hard time for me. Two years in Mashhad, I had depression. It was really a dark time for me, and that was the hardest time that I remember. I tried hard for everything in Mashhad, but it all just i don't know what is that in bombast in english i don't remember it i just i couldn't do anything about it and i got depression about two years but all all i wanted is that i have my own time to think about myself Hmm. to build my own dreams i'm believing that there is nobody here in this world that can help you by your by yourself. Nobody can give you luck. Nobody can give you happiness. Yeah. You have to believe in yourself that you can do whatever you want. You can be your hero. How low did you get? I mean... It was... <laughs> yeah, it was really... Uh, I think maybe five or six pills a day. I just... All I remember that I just looking at the walls, and when I saw the clock, I realized that a whole day passed, hmm. and I was crying. I don't know why. It was a dark time for me, but I think that was the time that I get cope with myself. Was
0: there a was there a specific turning point? Was there something that happened or something you
3: realized that? that dug you out of that? Actually, in my life, music ruined my life, and in some cases, it saves my life. Mm-hmm. That's why I cannot quit music, and the music can't quit me either. Right. I think in that time, music helps me. You were married to the music. The get over. Yeah, I can say that.
0: Tell, tell me about the decision to move to Istanbul, and how you, how you guys, as a band, you know, or
3: a, a few of you decide to do this, um, it feels like a big a big step. There is a strange thing happened to our band in different kind of steps. We just invited to different countries, different festivals, but whenever they understand that we are from Iran, they didn't answer us or they canceled the the deal. And, and we didn't know why. What did we do? So that's why we decided to leave so we can achieve our goals but you know personally when you wanted to move to another country or immigrate it's it's not easy No. but it's so much easier than you do that with a band because there are five people yeah they have to leave their whole life behind they have to leave their family they have to quit their jobs just to follow their dreams the dream that it's not quite clear that if they achieve that or not yeah so we leave our country, we leave Iran because of our dreams and because we couldn't do anything more in Iran.
0: And everybody was on board, all the band members, like nobody was resisting. Everybody said, OK, let's do you know, there's a band, very different genre of music, as uh, but mm-hmm. there's a band called Rastok that we've had on the oh, show. Yeah. And Rastok as a band last year uh, also moved to Istanbul. Um, But they were, and they're very diplomatic when they talk about it. But you know, it's clear that they—it was a very difficult thing to do as a band because some of the band members were saying, "Well, look, we have our life here in Iran, and we've got you know spouses or um, families or whatever. And how how are we going to actually negotiate this and do this all together?" They managed to do it, obviously. They moved to Istanbul, but it, it couldn't be easy for you guys to be making a decision like that because part of the equation, I'm guessing, is also. If you're going to leave and you're going to play rock music and you're going to be who you are, you may not be able to come back, too.
3: Exactly, yeah. We discussed about this with our band members about maybe eight months. And it was a hard decision for everyone because two of us were married. The other, they didn't go to military service. And it was hard for all the members individually. And the first... uh the first step when we came to istanbul we had another drummer but he couldn't make it he returned back to mashhad and we decided to move on with our former drummer and i'm so glad that this happened hmm. because we really need this drummer in this band
0: so, so how how does this hard rock musician who's moved to istanbul with his heavy metal band uh how did how did you get involved in the voice
3: <laughs> really shocking story you know whenever i just got the a story of the voice submitting the veto it was 10 days that i was in istanbul uh we're just trying to find a home to rent it and i just saw Mm, The voice. The voice is a program that everyone can sing in different languages. That's why I just submit my video in English language. But suddenly everything just changing. Mm. I just got an email that they told me you have to sing in Persian. And that was the point that I say, oh, come on. Forget it. It's not my type. But in that stage my wife just encouraged me to go to sing. Maybe people love your voice, maybe not, but try your best. Mm. I believe in you, you can do that. And I guess maybe, yeah, let me try that. And it's still, in I didn't think that, I didn't go to that competition to win. Mm. I just go there to challenge myself maybe that was the point that I, I could win.
0: Hang maybe. on a second, hang on a second, two, two steps back. Um, I, I personally think it's great that you sing in English, but, um, and has your decision over the years to sing in English been because you believe that that's the language that fits better with the genre of music, with metal music, or is it because you wanted to escape the Persian lyrics? I don't know, What? tell me why you've made that choice, which I think yeah. works, but tell me.
3: I just choose my path to sing in rock and metal musics and in Persian language, it doesn't fit the vowels, the, mm. you know, the words, it cannot be just fitted. So, and, and from the start, I wanted to do something international, you know, because right. the big sages are not ours, right? it's theirs. So that's, I choose to sing in English because I thought that maybe in this kind of genre, I can be more successful. English language.
0: It's 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 so interesting that you say that because uh, out of nowhere this the, your band I mean uh, you really are stateless. I mean as you say, you in terms of watching you guys, I wouldn't be able to guess where you're from, it's not like you dress or look particularly Iranian, you know. Um, I mean, you could be a, a Scandinavian rock band, or you could be from Texas or something. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. and and I, I'm I'm guessing it sounds like you like that. You like that element of being international,
3: right? Sure, sure. That's why we just started the band.
0: So, so here you are. You've left Mashhad. You've sort of shed some of your Iranian. Uh, ties or or boundaries and now you're getting this um, opportunity with the voice Persia but they're saying but you got to be the Persian guy singing in Farsi um, w- was that difficult for you because also you I mean watching you through some of the not the finale but some of the earlier stuff you also have to kind of sing some of the more traditional Persian pop songs and things that I don't necessarily s- associate with you or what your I don't know, brand is, if you will. Uh, so tell, tell me about that, making that decision.
3: Let me tell you, Gian, singing Persian for me, it's kind of if I ask you to sing in Spanish. <laughs> can, can but it's sing? not, it's not
0: because it's your language, right? You grew up <laughs> yeah. speaking Persian.
3: I just heard a lot. But when it, when it comes to singing, you have to know the techniques, you have to obey the rules, uh-huh. and you have to know how to sing the vowels that is the place that i didn't practice anything and that was a really hard time for me because i couldn't sing in that techniques in pop genre mm. and the lyrics i always listen to persian musics uh, when others listen to persian music because i i don't have any persian musics in my playlist but i don't i don't know any of the lyrics i don't follow them so that was for me is kind of hard as you singing in Spanish right. or any other language. By the way, I'm
0: an excellent singer in Spanish, so it's a bad example. But uh, oh,
3: oh. <laughs> <laughs> my bad!
0: No, I, I'm not. I'm joking. <laughs> uh, but th- that's really interesting to me that as a kid growing up in who grew, grew up in Iran, grew up in Mashhad, that you don't know Persian music or it's not something that you, you can sing back. Um, uh, it's fascinating. And so did so. I I mean, I guess you felt added pressure that not only is this not normally what you do, but you're not going to sing correctly or you're going to be a misfit. You're not going to fit into this competition somehow.
3: Yeah, I just believe that maybe I'm not fitting because all of the contestants are very professional in their kind of genre. Mm. But I didn't sing in that genre and either in this language. So that was, I just so afraid to sing in this kind of reality shows.
0: When did it go from, this is something I'm doing for the experience, okay, um, my to your wife, my dear partner, all right, I'll go do this, we'll we'll have some fun with it. I'll learn something. When did it go from that to, oh my God, I could actually succeed in this thing? When did you realize that?
3: Uh, I can say that when I sang Tulu by Siavash Khomeishi, I just realized that people love the way that I sing in Persian. And that was the first spark that I thought that, no, maybe it is something that people like. I have to try harder.
0: Hmm. Your coach on the show was Bijan Murtazavi. Yeah. What what did you learn from? Uh, he's obviously got lots of experience. Dip, comes from a different world and musically than you do, but but uh, an incredible composer, yeah. arranger, producer. Uh, what did you learn from working with
3: him? Actually, I think I have to be thankful for whole of my life because he believed in me, you know, because this kind of genre, as you mentioned. Mr. Bijan Murtazavi didn't work in this kind of genre. Maybe he didn't know. He didn't know my voice till the middle of the show. Then I start to scream for him and singing more high notes. Then Mm. he realized that wow, your voice can do a lot of things. And I think I have to be thankful for believing me. Because there are a lot of great contestants in their team. Mm. But he believed in me and and this. Did he teach you something? Can you think of something
0: that he taught you either technically or in terms of performance that you will carry forward, that you learn from doing that show?
3: You know, I was too wild to sing hmm. Persian. And he just controls me. He controls me and he told me about the people, how the people like this kind of language to be sang to be, and. Most of the time he controls. <laughs> Being
0: controlled is, is not usually a good thing, but I see in this case, it, it yeah, can be helpful it works. for you. <laughs> uh, you wrote on your Instagram, um, in the finale, you end up singing a Shahi Najafi song and you said, I appreciated the fact that I got to do something that also showed my rock chops, my my ability to, to sing and scream the way I can.
3: Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, actually, you know, in this competition, I didn't have any choice. Because I sing in rock music, in rock genre, but that rock genre that I'm talking about is something that we don't have in Iranian or in this industry or something else. So I couldn't find any musics that can fit my voice, that I can show myself. But when it comes to final and they just told me that I have to sing this special song... I thought that this is the moment so I can change it, so I can show my ability. Mm. And this is the place, and these two songs actually, not only the "Shine" Najafi, also Savage Shaman by mm. Hamid Behtad these two songs fits better with my sound. And that was the thing that I was looking for from the first stage.
0: And how surprised were you when you won? What do you think? i think by that point you know how good you are and that you've captured the imagination of of a lot of people and that maybe you could win
3: you know when i heard that that two songs i have to sing that for final that was a time that i believed in myself that i can win this competition because of these two songs because of what i wanted to do with these songs
0: how has winning the voice uh changed your life or has it
3: actually it's a it's a big and really hard journey for me it just it starts a big journey for me because i have to make a lot of music in persian language and it's if you know it's really hard for me to be making music in this kind of genre especially for Iranians mm. because the Iranians doesn't like aggressive kind of vocals mm-hmm. and that was what I what I did in my whole life so and what I you're still to... doing
0: i mean that the song we uh, disconnect you guys just put that out right yeah yeah so you probably <laughs> you probably have some kid in tabriz going i voted for you i love you i didn't expect this you know uh, <laughs> the, 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 what is this music
3: <laughs> yeah i just i just tell everyone that Forget about this kind of genre because in English, I have to do this. This right. is my goal. This is my dream. Right. And I will do a softer version in Persian as well.
0: So is that the plan? That you have sort of parallel track careers with your heavy metal and then you do something in the in the Persian genre that's
3: a little bit For different? sure, for sure. Exactly for sure. Because I just see the results and I realize that people like this kind of voice hmm. they need this kind of voice in this in this industry so that's my duty i have to do this
0: i was uh, talking to a couple of team members right before we started the interview saying i uh, you know you know i spent 10 years on the road as a singer in a band and i i don't understand how you can sing without losing your voice when you're doing those kind of vocals like you have to either Uh, either you are losing your voice, (laughs) you have to do one show a week, not rather than every (laughs) night, or you're just, you've trained yourself so well to use the air and the way you breathe and the way you, you sing that, that you kind of can maintain it because I, I don't understand how you do it.
3: You know, the most dangerous part is that you're finding your voice. I didn't have a coach. I just learned it by myself. I started to scream so I can find my voice where I can scream so it doesn't damage my voice. And it was the most dangerous things that i did and i was so lucky that my voice didn't hurt but um, as you told it's so important to take care of your vocals breathing and everything because you know when you are in a tour or in everywhere yeah singing in this kind of type of different kind of screaming growling clean you need to be practiced you need to be prepared for this
0: it's really great to talk to you, uh, and I'm so happy for this um, great moment that you've had. And I, as I say, I hope that it continues to to bigger success for you and and the band as well. Uh, a final question to you: I, I'm curious, um, I'm curious about your parents who uh, were not so happy with the kids screaming in the bedroom up uh, up upstairs uh, <laughs> when you were growing up, and the reaction that they had to watching their son become this international uh, star on this uh, show
3: actually the most beautiful things that happened to me after this show my father told me that you i know how hard you tried for what you believe and this is the moment that i saw that you're hard working finally get what you want and i'm so proud of you and this was really a beautiful moment for me. I was it's something that I just checked one of my achievements. Yeah. You know, I told you for a whole of my life, I'm just trying to show myself that I can do it. But it means a lot to me.
0: Yeah, yeah, it probably make you cry.
3: Yeah, definitely.
0: Um, thank you for doing this. Best of luck. I hope to see you again. Hope to actually see you on tour here in Canada, so you can come into the studio in Toronto.
3: I hope so. I hope so. Thank you so much for inviting me, for having me. It's an honor for to be here.
0: Thank you, brother. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.
3: Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye.
0: Rook, episode 259 my next guest is an Iranian Canadian martial arts master from Niagara Ontario Canada with a powerful story that involves hard work strength and determination to find success Badri Ricky Ardelli's journey has had some major bumps with a lonely process of immigration at a young age isolation adjustment to a new country a difficult divorce and then 20 years ago, a major car accident, but ultimately hers is a tale of defying the odds and finding herself and her strength in Taekwondo. It is a tale of resilience and inspiration. Badri was born and raised in Tehran. She moved to Canada as a teenager in the turmoil of the Islamic revolution. She started learning self-defense and martial arts at the age of 17 while working for a global company in charge of NAFTA manufacturing. By the early 2000s, Badri found herself in the middle of a messy divorce and trying to heal from a life-threatening accident. She found her path in becoming a martial arts master. She's now a six-dan black belt in Taekwondo. This is a rarity, especially for a woman. And as the founder of her own studio where she teaches Taekwondo, sometimes to students who are decades younger than she is, for whom she is a role model. It's quite a story. And right now, Master Badri, Ricky Ardelli, joins me in the Rook studio. Hello. Hello. Great pleasure to have you here.
2: Nice to meet you. Nice it's to meet to you, too. Uh,
0: do I call you master or you know, a, a grandmaster? Really. <laughs> no, no, know? no. I'm not a grandmaster <laughs> okay. yet. Okay. So. But Six Dan, <laughs> when I mention that to people who know Taekwondo, <laughs> mm-hmm. they're blown away. I mean, really? that's, well, that's quite impressive, isn't it?
2: It is. It is. Not many people pass fourth or fifth. So for me to reach six, I think there's only twelve of us in Canada, female.
0: How long does it usually take to get to each step of Danism? Uh, it's...
2: Um, fifth five years for each each one for each dan oh my god at the beginning is two then three then four and then so
0: there's no seventh dan taekwondo people who are like 19 years old no that you have to kind of it's a life journey yes wow it
2: it takes a long time so for me to be a ninth dan which is the highest level it's another 15 years and you are you going for (laughs) it i'm going for seventh for sure wow seventh for sure i want to be the only one in canada
0: You'll be the only one in Canada? That's what I was With
2: told. A, if I get the 7th dan, nobody nobody else gets it before me.
0: You'll be the first female ever
2: in Canada. Wow. 7th dan. And how long
0: or how far are you away from the 7th dan? 5 years Five because more I years. just
2: got my 6th in September of 2022.
0: Congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. I want to get into your story and I want okay. to I want you to tell us uh, uh, the tale of how martial arts has effectively saved your life mm-hmm. and how you're passing that wisdom and physical strength on to others, but let me ask you first. Uh, you've always, as I understand it, been a very private person. You you haven't very done much. a lot of interviews like no. this. No. Uh, you haven't opened up too much publicly about no. your journey. Why did this feel like the right time, Badri? Um,
2: many reasons. One of them is like, God, I'm 61. Until when you wanna hide? And I thought, Everybody is going through something. I'm not the only one. It's not unique. I'm sure people have gone through divorces, I've gone some kind of an accident, and a lot of them live in Toronto, they've had accidents, you know. What makes me so special?
0: But <laughs> your initial answer, how long am I going to hide? Yeah. You felt like you've been hiding?
2: But definitely. I feel like I'm a private. I don't want anybody to know anything about me. Maybe I was worried about them judging because of the divorce.
0: But isn't being a Taekwondo master and being a teacher, having your own studio, that is kind of public, right? So in you the Taekwondo were, life. You were okay with that. Yes. But you don't want in terms of the rest of your story, your journey, that's the part that you up until now have right. wanted to kind of right. almost suppress.
2: Oh, almost. But then that's the thing. The Taekwondo brought out in who's this master? What made her get here? People have, people wanted to know me as mm-hmm. the master, mm-hmm. so I thought, okay, they want to know about me. I'm going to start talking. All right.
0: Well, so let's get into the story. I okay. mean, you. By the way, you've talked a lot about wanting to be an example for your daughters, My daughters yes. and for a lot of women out there. Yes. What would be the best result you can imagine of being that kind of an example? What do you hope women could learn from you?
2: Not settle for less. Don't think good enough. I don't think we give each other, we give ourselves enough credit to achieve for more. We think this is good enough. What is this enough for?
0: Just Before we get into this story, mm-hmm. you, you, this sixth Dan black belt mm-hmm. in Taekwondo, um, w- what makes you so good at martial arts? I mean, I, I'm not talking about um, the spiritual, well, maybe it is spiritual, but I, I'm, I'm talking about literally, physically. Why are you so good at this?
2: I can still keep up with most of the movements the couple of fancy kicks turning around, I can't do anymore because of my accident, low back injury, and a little bit of getting dizzy. I'm good at it. I can do it. I I have a competitive nature. I look at people that are really good, and I wanna copy them. I wanna be just like them. And I try. I practice at home. Uh. You know, a lot of masters don't keep up with it, but the ones that do, they're my idols.
0: In your lowest points, could you, have imagined you would be here talking about your success as a Taekwondo master and teacher?
2: No, no. I remember the time when I was, um, I felt completely alone. You know, funny thoughts go through your head. You feel like you have absolutely nobody, nobody.
0: Mm-hmm. If we think of your life in, in four acts, okay. uh, if, if you'll allow me, okay. and and you being in the third one perhaps now, Um, Unquestionably, the first act uh, is the story of a girl growing up in Iran before the Islamic Revolution. Mm -hmm. How would you describe your life in Tehran as a kid growing up in the 1960s?
2: It was free. We had no restrictions. It was a typical during the Shah's time that we, we enjoyed what he was doing. I remember the White Revolution. You know, my uncles were soldiers that were sent to different villages to teach. So the Shah was good all around for us. Um, I remember taking English at the Iran America Society. By myself, going different places. We we visited families. We went on trips everywhere. We went to Shamal, you know, with uh, the Caspian Sea with the bathing. Suit. The north. Yeah, so it was really nice. Uh, we enjoyed it. we had a good life.
0: So you're you have a f- you have farm memories. Yes. Is it true that you, from a, a young age, you had a fondness for fighting?
2: I did. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's, it's it's.
0: When I found this out, I had a chuckle because I know taekwondo is not about fighting necessarily, right. you know. But but that you always had this in you. You've yeah. kind of come full circle in your life. So as a kid, young Badri actually wanted to be in the army. Is that right? Yes.
2: I remember watching the the air force, which was very close to us. Every day I would see them when I was waiting for my bus to go to school. I would look at them, and I wanted to be one of them. And I thought for sure, when I when I finished school, I'm joining the Army.
0: When you say you had a fondness for fighting, did you actually get into fights?
2: Oh, physically, yes. You did? Yes. With other well, my girls? Brother, With your brother? A lot, to the point that... Maybe it's not nice to say, but the neighbors had to come and separate us. Really? Yeah, I was. We were He's older. A year and a half older.
0: And what did your parents <laughs> make of this young scrapper as their oh, daughter?
2: That was a headache. You know, like not a bad headache, like just fighting, ah. stop fighting. Why don't you get along?
0: Well, it's it's amazing because there's this detour in your life for a, a number of decades, two or three decades, mm-hmm. where you where you leave that fondness for mm-hmm. physicality, and uh, what your parents thought, well, they expect this to happen, uh, uh, and you go into kind of a different mode, and that's really the, the the interesting part of your story, how you, and in some ways a very difficult part of your story of how you kind of, um, your life takes a strange turn, and then you come back to where you are now. By the time of the revolution, uh, at 16 years old, you leave Iran, mm-hmm. you come to Canada without your parents, mm-hmm. uh, How hard was it leaving Iran and how hard was it trying to adjust in the very beginning to life in Canada?
2: It was very difficult. It wasn't like here that like now that so many Iranians are here. At a time, it wasn't the cell phones or the phones that we have here, the social media. So it was literally dialing the rotary phone. Mm. I still remember that. It was hard connecting once in a while with them and talking to them. Missed them very much. Everything was new. Everything was fresh. I came from Tehran to Toronto. And the culture shock is there. But you're just too busy getting involved to see how much effect it's having on you till later. Mm. You know, it, it was hard.
0: Could you, were you, did you have a facility for English when you, when you arrived? Or?
2: There was, um, the way to come to Canada as a student at a time was this Iranian English teaching school to get admitted to. And then you go off to your path was supposed to be six months. But in six months you learn nothing because it's Iranians and Chinese. And you speak Iranian and the Chinese don't speak English. So it was—it didn't learn much that I went to my high school in Brantford where I was the only foreigner in school. Picture that. Right now it's opposite. But then right, I was at that the time, only foreigner wow. in school.
0: You've just come from a foreign country. Mm-hmm. You don't speak English very well and you're the only ethnic kid.
2: Yes, the only one till the second year we had um, one from Pakistan Hmm. who was very smart too. And how did you deal with that? It was hard. I had my dictionary at the time. We had those thick dictionaries we used to carry around, find words, write them all over. In my English class, we had to study Macbeth. Good luck with that. So I asked my mom to send me Macbeth in Persian. (laughs) So I had both books open. Uh,
0: And and did you get teased for your accent Um, or for not-
2: By a couple of the girls, I remember. Because I couldn't say the th the, hmm. it's not part of our language, right? So
0: I mean, in a place like Canada, there's a lot of ethnic kids. It's mm-hmm. uh, you know, especially as we head into the '80s and '90s, and of course today. But, but there was an added dimension with you, which which is that you were an Iranian girl mm-hmm. in Toronto during the time of the revolution, and then the hostage crisis, mm-hmm. where Iranians quickly became seen as the enemy
2: yes. of the West.
0: Yeah. Tell me about those times for you.
2: Uh, I was going to college then so when I was there I remember my mom said don't tell people you're Iranian and I said what do I do with my looks then she said just what are, just say you're Italian so not to get engaged with the Iranians there because there were a few students at Niagara College at a time so when they came talk to me in Persian I would pretend I don't understand mm. and I would say why well, I'm Italian and walk away so it wasn't something you would really share
0: you know what I I have a similar yeah. story. I would Do you? well people would say Gian, that sounds French. And I would kind of go, you know, hoping that they would think I was French because yeah. I was so worried that, you know, uh I'd be called crash. a terrorist yeah. or whatever. Yeah. And yet you feel like an imposter I mean, you're not Italian, right? You're you're so you're kind of living a lie. Living you're, a in, lie yeah. you're in an ethnic closet. Yeah. By by your, your mid 20s, you seem like you have a you've adjusted, you've found a lane. Maybe, maybe it's that you've settled, as you said earlier, You know, in mm. terms of what you want to teach young women. You have a pretty good job, you get married to an Italian man. Um, I guess then you could really tell people you were Italian because mm. you were married to an Italian guy. Uh, you talk today about the fact that you've really found yourself now.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Who were you in this period of your life?
2: I was so busy with being somebody, reaching a goal that my parents set for me. And I say that a lot, the goal they set, because they had a dream when they sent me here. I was too young to see what is it that you want. It was always what my parents want. Nothing wrong with that. Thank God I wasn't 100% against their ideas, as a lot of people are. They say, "But that's my parents, not me. Mm. So I wanted the same thing. I wanted education. I wanted to be somebody, stand on my own feet, and maybe prove myself. I'm Iranian, I'm immigrant, and a woman. And to this time I carried those things, I carried it through work, through uh, college, and even now I'm Iranian immigrant and I'm a woman. I can do something, I can be effective, I am somebody. So it was, um, I was busy going through school. I was busy working, and proving myself at work. It was a very male dominated industry.
0: What is the industry?
2: It's um, so a heat-resistant material fabricating. It's refractory. So everywhere I went, it was uh, basically the melt shops or furnaces or foundries like Tofasco, Stelco, Gallatin Steel, Zipsco. So it was all male-oriented.
0: So when you say um, busy trying to be what my parents wanted me to be, what part of that wasn't who you wanted to be?
2: Not a lot of it wasn't. Like I said, I was in, thankfully one of the ones that didn't go against the parents. Because they always showed me examples of people being successful.
0: You said they had a dream for me to come. What, what was it?
2: Be successful. Be educated.
0: Successful meaning make money?
2: Uh, obviously. That was one. I okay, mean, no, successful I, 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 can be no, but healthy no, or happy. Or, uh, no, education was educated. very important to them. Mm-hmm. That's one of the reasons my dad sent me out.
0: You, you go to college, not university.
2: No, I went to Niagara an College.
0: And just as a testament to how it wasn't the easiest time of your life, you at some point had to quit college because you needed to make money, right?
2: I did. It was the third year of all time when um, there was a war going on with Iran and Iraq. It was very hard to get money, so you were on your own. I was sitting in the class, and I'm thinking, looking at my bank account, it's like, okay, literally, I had $200. What do I do? Pay the rent. At the time, it was very cheap. or eat. Difficult choice, I decided to quit on the last term. Last term of the third. I mean, you're going to graduate but I just couldn't do it. So I quit, got two part-time jobs.
0: And your parents weren't able to support you at this point? No, so yeah. it was
2: so hard then, you know, it was so hard I didn't expect them. They couldn't even send money out. Hmm. So it was really bad and, um, but I, I started working and thankfully I started working um, for engineering firms summertime and then somehow I found Vesuvius who I did not even apply they found me through my resume from somebody else and I interviewed, I told them, I don't even know what you make, so why would you hire me? Literally.
0: Mm. You have that job, and then by your mid-20s, you get married. You said that you were not confident enough at that stage of your life to not get married. Yes. Tell me about that.
2: Again, this is when I was 24, when I got engaged. So you still have no family, you're still alone, and you think, oh, my, who's going to marry me? Oh, okay, this person looks nice, um, has a nice family. I you should settled. get married. You settled. I settled. I settled. So I did. And when you have that doubt, it's still there. You go through with it. You know something is wrong.
0: Oh, so even from that time, you were yeah. feeling like this yeah. wasn't right.
2: I didn't want to admit it.
0: You end up having a couple of kids.
2: I have two daughters. Two daughters. So,
0: yeah. And were the daughters sort of... Postpone any feelings about this—the marriage not being ideal—to um, just get so focused on the kids that it. I mean, that's the traditional narrative, right? The kids right. will help the marriage because that becomes the priority.
2: It was the fear of the kids until they were ten and thirteen. I remember thinking, "What am I teaching this kids? This is marriage. This is not a marriage." I don't want him to follow this. I don't want him to copy this. I don't want him to think this is this is marriage and this is good enough mm-hmm. and you should settle. That's no. And I told them that. I said, this is not a marriage.
0: You start diving back into martial arts
2: mm-hmm.
0: in a serious way at the age mm-hmm. of 37, mm-hmm. which is kind of the beginning of the who rest I of your life. Yeah, the uh, rest of your life. Was that deep dive into martial arts connected to this restlessness that you were feeling about where your life had gone
2: part of it i was uh, i started taking the martial arts when i was traveling a lot and i wanted it as a safety but i remember going to the dojang and it felt good being there it was my time and i don't remember thinking about anything except what i was doing i was 100 percent present
0: Is that somehow unique to Taekwondo? Do you think it's something about the sport that feels that immersive?
2: I I think so, because when you're there, you have to really concentrate and learn.
0: Like you wouldn't have got this from playing tennis or something?
2: No. From tennis, I would try to hit it as harder as I can to get my aggression out, you know? Uh (laughs) Because you're aware head to toe when you're in Taekwondo. What are you thinking? What are you looking at? Where are your hands? Where are your feet? Where are your hips? How does your back feel? You're concentrating and you're learning new things. So that helps you being really grounded there. And I like the feeling, I really enjoyed that feeling.
0: You said part of the incentive was safety. You mean self-defense?
2: Self-defense, yeah.
0: So you're this woman who's working in this male-dominated industry, Mm -hmm. you're getting sent around. You literally wanted to learn how to defend yourself?
2: Exactly, because I traveled a lot by myself. I had no second reservations about getting a car from Chicago, driving to Gary, Indiana, to see a supplier.
0: I mean, just out of curiosity, have you ever needed to use Taekwondo in a situation that you've been in?
2: Not close, but you're aware when somebody's following you. Hmm. It's an eerie feeling, to be honest with you. You are very aware of who's watching you, Who's and I tell the same thing to my students. Don't take do anything for granted. I'm dead against these headphones when kids are on the street, which hmm. i tell them take it off because you can hear things, you can feel things, your, your mind is preoccupied. So y- a couple of times it's close, you have this gut feeling that I refer to and I trust my gut feeling that somebody was too close or um, even somebody tried to grab your hand in a crowd, hmm. you know, how to get out of it, things like that.
0: Some of it, I guess, is it emboldens you, it gives you a confidence that yes. you know how to handle the situation. Yes, then, right?
2: even though it's a, sometimes a false, Confidence, because there's always somebody bigger than you. Right. But you become aware of it.
0: Although having met you now, I, I, I don't think somebody being bigger than you. I think it feel like it's irrelevant. You could take but, anybody. Well, you're, you have to
2: learn the, the different, different body parts. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. let's
0: get into this really difficult uh, time of your life. You have a major life interruption. Uh, this would be, I guess, in your early 40s, or just 42, when you're t- 42. 41, 42. That's about 20 years ago, yeah. uh, when you get into this car accident. What, what happened, Battery?
2: Just driving home on a October 2nd and it was a sunny, dry day at the intersection I was, which is my, I had the way off the road, going 80 kilometers and another truck that was raised belonged to a winery, didn't stop at the intersection, didn't stop at the stop sign. Directly came in front of me, I think I saw a white wall. I remember thinking, what's this? Oh my God, this is it. And I just heard metal to metal.
0: And what exactly happened? I mean, if you passed out, but somebody would have told you what to what, the car hit you and.
2: Um, So I hit the front end of the truck because I pushed him, his back end hit me again and I went swirling, put me in a ditch. So my, I had an SUV GMC, which was totaled, completely totaled. And if you saw the picture, you would think somebody definitely died.
0: Were you still in the car? when I was it, in the car, I broke my wrist. Were you seat
2: Yes, uh-huh. yeah, thank God for that. So the car took a lot of the damage, but it didn't have a side airbag. Uh-huh. So actually the airbag is what broke my wrist. Oh. It was hanging on, so the airbag deployed and hit my wrist. And basically shattered my wrist. I always wonder about that, where yeah. the airbag can actually
0: yeah. be dangerous somehow. Mm, a I lot
2: call. of people say that, yeah.
0: So you, let me, I've got it here. You broke your wrists, mm-hmm. your shoulders?
2: Major damage and a tear to the shoulder. Your ribs? My ribs, my punctured eardrum. Punctured eardrum? mm mm-hmm. I Ooh. couldn't hear for nine months from one.
0: Uh, did that heal? It heals by itself. It does. Yeah, it takes about I thought six to eight ears eight never get better when no. something goes broken wrong. Broken
2: eardrums, it heals by itself. You're under a care Those constantly. Terrifying. No, I remember when the paramedics came, they were so uh, busy with the blood and the broken bone. Nobody's paying attention. I can't breathe because of the ribs. I kept saying, I can't hear. I can't hear because everything was muffled. They were, so, they were just busy huh. with the blood.
0: You must have been terrified.
2: Yeah, well, I was. I was terrified, but at the same time, oh, the car, oh, my computer from work is in there.
0: When you f- start to realize what's happened to you physically, mm-hmm. do you think you may never be physically okay again? Does that go through your mind?
2: I, I thought about that, that why did it happen? I was on a high coming back from Korea from a competition um, a month before that, and a few months before that from... Um, work recognition trip so you're on high all of a sudden you crash why me why me a what competition is in
0: korea for taekwondo, taekwondo. taekwondo. patterns yeah uh,
2: so it was um why me why me what is this lesson supposed to be and a friend of mine said that your life was going the wrong direction but you didn't listen to other cues so he put a 90 degree stop in front of you yeah to really pay attention and i believe that because after, th- my life really changed after that. started making decisions for myself. For myself, Yeah.
0: And I mean, the accident coincides with the disillusion of your marriage. They're yes. somehow interrelated. Yeah. Yeah. It must have felt like you were losing everything all at once. I mean, uh, you said, and you said it a little earlier too at the beginning, that you thought nobody would even realize if you disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody would miss you mm-hmm. except for your cat. Mm-hmm. That's pretty dark stuff. It that's, is. That's a
2: dark place to be. It was, and I don't think anybody realized I was going through that because you don't show it. So I wouldn't go out of the house a lot at all. I was crying a lot.
0: What about your daughters? How were they? Dealing My daughters with
2: it? were um, ten and thirteen. They're busy going high school, and I wanted to shield them from that. I didn't yeah. want them to see me that way. I'm trying to set an example, you know. So I, I don't want to depress them. I was so desperate. I was so angry and low that I thought nobody's gonna miss me if I die tomorrow. And I was over St. Catherine's Skyway Bridge. And I just looked over as I'm driving down. I thought if my car just veered left or right by the time it's gonna be nobody would notice like oh, it was an accident. Who's gonna miss me? This person? That person? No. Okay, my daughters, I would feel bad. They have their father. They have their family. They're going to get over it. I'll be mourned. They remember me as their mom. Da-da-da-da. I felt bad for my mom. But mostly, who's going to look after my cat? Because that cat cannot talk to you. Cannot say how it feels.
0: Was that the lowest point? The driving over the bridge? Or can you think of a moment that was the, you know, where did it feel like bottom for you?
2: No, that was it. When you think you want to take yourself out, you know, and... And it wasn't just once, it happened a couple of times. Wow,
0: back to what your friend said. This accident, Mm -hmm. as tragic, as scary, as traumatizing as it clearly was and could be, it was the push you needed Mm -hmm. to take control of your life. Would that be the, the case?
2: It is, even though it took a few years.
0: What was the turning point where you said enough? I'm going to turn this thing around. And I guess, how did Taekwondo uh, intersect with that?
2: When I wasn't going back to work. So I wasn't working. The money wasn't coming in. So that's when I felt it.
0: Where, where's the moment where you sort of, I mean, we know now it's uh, things have, have turned out well, but where was the moment where you sort of go, Eureka, when I'm doing Taekwondo or when I'm doing this or that, when I'm, I, I, am, I am finding myself
2: when you have all that stuff to show can you live without it it's, it's going to be take the diamond rings take the clothes the fancier clothes or give up for work and take the job and the only thing you can take away from is your education and your mm. window, who are you what is your root what can you stand on your own two feet you know are you confident enough
0: um you know you're 61 mm-hmm. it's no secret you said it yourself earlier okay. in the interview you seem to be your best self now. What is your relationship with getting older?
2: I don't see myself old as in way of thinking. I don't. Even sometimes, Does anyone? No, but I mean, mm-hmm. I don't feel it. Mm. I'm going to be a grandma in a month. Hello, do I look like a grandma? Hmm. I want to still look younger, yes.
0: Do you worry about it? A little bit. I mean, you're in a sport, right? No, no, but so you. So, know, you, you know, in football and soccer, you know, by the time you're 30 years old, they say, oh, he's a veteran player. You yeah. Know, but think, that's a
2: good thing about Taekwondo. It has two, two different divisions. Up to 30, 34, you can spar, the Olympic style sparring or fighting, or you can stay with the patterns and the Pumse that you go up to as long as you live and it keeps you physically fit. So, as masters after 35, 40, that's the would be take, and it keeps you very fit.
0: It seemingly you haven't stopped doing what you always do. I'm curious, as somebody who um, is involved in a sport and is involved in a physical practice mm-hmm. in terms of what you do, do you think? Oh, I've got to start compromising myself mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. I'm getting older. I shouldn't. I should be careful not to do the things like running because it'll be bad for my knees when I turn sixty or no. You don't do that at all. No,
2: because of our sport. I'm not a runner, so I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) Okay. Thank God for that. But um, in our our sport, Taekwondo, no, because it really works on your conditioning your body from mentally to physically, everything. So conditioning your body, which is it concentrates on every single part of your muscles, every muscle you have in your legs and your back and your arm, you're constantly working with them and conditioning them, keeping them in a really good physical shape. Um, And a lot of it is backed up by resistant training, mm. because you wanna keep the muscles stronger, right? In order to deliver a blow or whatever, or just keeping fit. As part of that, I do resistant training. Part weights, a lot of bands. That's, oh, the, that's band, the, the, the only bands. thing right. that you when you say about physically, you gonna be restrictive, is the heavy weights that I don't wanna lift anymore. There's no need. I'm not going to a contest for bodybuilding, so I don't have to lift that heavy bands that I use a lot and a lot of my classes that I train. Keeps you toned. Keeps you toned and you can adjust the weight according to how you hold the band. So that's what I do. And no, I'm I'm not afraid of physically being not fit.
0: It's good talking to you. Thank you for sharing your story. Let me ask you this. What is the best part about being a martial arts master and being a teacher today?
2: It's helping and raising um, the kids that come to you from the beginning, helping them grow emotionally, emotionally, physically. A lot of kids that come are bullied in school. They're shy. They don't even look at you in the eyes when you're talking. They hardly speak. And when I teach them, they have to look at me and talk and raise their voices I have to hear. And when they change and all of a sudden they're so confident and they walk with a pride and they're doing so much better at school because they're confident, their memory coordination, that is a great, great gift. I feel great when I see those kids mm. and the parents. And the adults, the same thing, the, f- the physical transformation that I see either through Taekwondo or my Taifit classes, they're stronger. They're more confident. It makes me feel so good. That makes me want to research more and get better at my job because every coach has a coach, right? So I, I want to learn more. and How can I improve them more? Because for the kids, we're raising good citizens all around. It's not just kicking and punching. Raising good citizens with respect all around.
0: Look how excited you just got. Yeah, see, You like doing You love it I that. do. You I, love coaching.
2: Yes. Hmm. I, I feel like I'm part of that child's life. It takes a village to raise a kid, right? And for me to be picked by the parents as one of them is an honor. Me, badri you know. And what
0: do they call you, Master Badry? Master, yeah. And, yeah. and if they say, Master, uh, what's the greatest lesson you've learned through all of your life journeys? Teach me, what do you tell them?
2: Um, trust yourself, your gut feeling. Listen to your gut feeling. <clears throat> you want to make some mistakes, make sure that it's something you can come back from, that you're not going to dive down a cliff. So rely on your family. Mm. Family's always there. Friends come and go.
0: Thank you for this. Thank you. Master Badri. Live in the Rook studio. This is full time for Rook for today. For all things rook related our full interviews our all of our episodes our different series including the contemporary history of iran go to rookmedia.com thanks to the amazing team who put this show together harry anahita pega rohan merita and louise thank you to all of you out there supporting us sharing our t- content subscribing Please subscribe if you haven't done so already on any of our platforms. Find me on Instagram at Gian And as ever, Mizunbashi.